Welcome to the, to the next episode of the West Connect podcast brought to you by the A-plus program, where we help ensure student athletes are successful on and off the field. And today, I'm very excited that we have Dr. Ellen Prager with us today. Good morning, Ellen. How are you? Good morning. It's great to be here. Well, thank you for making the time. Um, you have a really interesting resume, and I've been doing a little bit of homework. Uh, but before we kind of dig into the professional life, could you maybe give a little bit of background on yourself, how you found yourself at Wesleyan, and what your experience was like being a student athlete there? Sure. So it was very interesting. Um, I, my sister was a senior at Wesleyan when I came in as a freshman. And probably the biggest influence I had in choosing Wesleyan was that I came to visit my sister, Kathy, um, while, she was a, while she was a student. And I fell in love with the campus, the people, the experience. She loved it so much. So it was really that influence that made Wesleyan really my top choice. And so I, I was thrilled and um, it was great. We, it was kind of funny because we actually weren't very close as sisters, but once I came in as a freshman and she was a senior, we got really close. And so that was even an added benefit. Although what was also interesting is that we, we had very different lives on campus. She wasn't involved in sports. And so you know, sports were a big part of my life at Wesley and I played field hockey and lacrosse. And I was lucky I came from a high school where sports were really big. And so I came in with a lot of experience, particularly in lacrosse, which at, at that time, not that many uh, students had. So it, it was really helpful for me. And what I particularly like about Wesleyan and sports is that I am very academic oriented. And so I was able to combine really uh, my love of science and studying science and taking courses and learning with being a very active sports life and, and being very you know competitive and working as part of a team and really gaining friends that way. So for me, the marriage between academics and sports at Wesleyan is ideal. You're, you know, there's not, there's not an imbalance, which I think you see a lot of schools, you see that. And so the other thing I liked is that while I played sports, I had a lot of friends in, on the teams. I also had friends that were in science, in the humanities, that were in drama. And, and so you really, uh, or political science, you really got to make friends and interact with, oh, and this is so classic for Wesleyan, a diversity of students, which again, I think it really opens your eyes. And, and um, it, for me, it makes me, it makes me appreciate a lot of different perspectives. And I, I like that a lot. So it gave me a, just a ton of opportunities in that sense. But again, I think the balance between playing sports, which was so important for me, and the academics was critical. Yeah, it's so interesting. I've probably done 10 of these conversations so far. And the amount of times that it comes up that a sibling or a cousin or a parent or somebody had a direct connection with Wesleyan is, is really incredible. And it does reinforce that sense that it is kind of a, a tight knit community and a family. My younger brother went to Wesleyan and my wife went there. So I'm, you know, as guilty yep. as everybody else of, of uh, you know, the uh, insider trading there. And I really like your comment about the balance between athletics and academics. I really appreciated the fact that compared to some of my friends that played division one lacrosse, you know, there were very strict boundaries around, you know, how much time you could spend uh, training or playing or with the coaches. And, you know, we obviously led with academics. Um, 
which, you know, considering where life takes us, I think, uh, you know, good for the NESCAC and good for the little three for doing all those things. Um, yeah, uh, I couldn't agree more with you on that. Yeah, I, I just, I, I'm such a huge fan of how they run things. Um, so maybe uh, talk a little bit more about your field of study, why you were at school, what your major was, um, and then we can transition a little bit of, uh, into, you know, a post-Wesleyan career. Sure. I also have to just say, and, and that my, both my nieces went to Wesleyan as well. So, you know, it's again, it's, it's the family, the family continues on there. Absolutely. Um, so at Wesleyan, I studied environmental science with a concentration in geology. Uh, but I took a class in oceanography and I was already a scuba diver at that time. I might have even been certified as a scuba diver. And I took a course in oceanography and was hooked, as they say. I loved it. And so what happened for me was I decided that I wanted to take a semester away from Wesley and really focus on marine science. And so what's great is that at Wesleyan, it gave me all the tools for studying critical thinking and learning and writing, which when I, I took a semester away, I studied tropical marine science at a lab in St. Croix, which was very highly rated. But because of the tools that I got at Wesleyan, I really feel this, I shined and I enabled me to go back to that lab as their assistant, all around assistant after I graduated. Um, I got a summer job as, an, as a safety diver, or as we call at an undersea lab, I like to say it was really a euphemism for underwater slave, but it was fantastic. Um, but then after, so then, so I went back, that was my junior year. I went back and finished up as a senior at Wesleyan, but, and then went on to graduate school and in graduate school. And then when I, later on, when I was teaching undergraduates, I have to say, again, I was so much better prepared for graduate school. And what I saw there soon because of my time at Wesleyan and the rigor of the academics in terms of writing, knowing how to study and critical thinking. And again, I can't emphasize enough how much that helped me uh, progress, I, I think, and now, certainly now in the writing that I'm doing, but I, I whizzed through graduate school compared to a lot of other students and I actually had to help people in writing. And again, that was, I, I, I think a lot of that came from Wesleyan. Yeah, I, I would echo that. Um... When I was in law school, um, multiple professors commented on my writing abilities, which I think is a testament to Wesleyan, but also just, um, you know, uh, a observation on the lack of, of emphasis that other schools put on it. So yes. I would wholeheartedly agree with you. Um, so you did this semester um, away, and then I assume you were also doing internships or externships while you were at school. And, and what did that look like you know, once you graduated? What was the next step for you there? So I, I um, while I was at school, I was playing sports and I was working part-time. So I didn't do a lot of internship kind of things, but I did work for the environmental science department for a while. So that was great. Um, and so then I when, I, when I graduated, I went back to the lab. I worked there for a year and they all said, you need to go to graduate school. And so they kind of shoved me out and uh, I went to get my master's at the University of Miami. And then later I got a PhD at LSU, both places I went because there was an individual scientist I really wanted to work with on, on what they were studying and what their research focus was. Um, I worked in coral reefs. 
uh, in marine geology and biology. And then I studied more physical oceanography and coral reefs for my PhD. But again, um, those experiences were really made easier by my time at Wesleyan. Um, I, it, it was great. And the field experience that I had taking the time off uh, my junior year, when I went to grad school, not only did I have the study capabilities and the writing, I had more field experience than most people. So it was, uh, it was, a, it was really helpful. And we talked a little bit this about this on the pre-call, but I would love for you to go into a little bit more depth about this, you know, false concept that if you are in the sciences, you don't need the reading and the writing and the critical skills there. That certainly has not been the case for your career. No, not at all. And, and you know, I saw people really struggling um, in graduate school because writing is a huge part of doing research um, teaching whatever you're going to be doing. You need writing skills and you need good reading skills um, and critical thinking. So that in science is incredibly important. And, you know, one of the things sort of diversions that I've made is now I'm very active in how do we bring science to a broader audience? And in that, uh, writing is even, has become even more an important skill for me and writing for the general public and for kids. So I can't emphasize enough. I think Right now, especially with uh, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, we've really gotten away from teaching students how to write, not just little compose little tweets, but write. And that's really important. Uh, critical thinking and writing is, is something we need to focus on. Um, I also will say in science, sometimes you hear that you need to do networking is just for business, but that's not true at all. Um, in science, or I think almost any field, the way you get a, a lot of the way you get opportunities is by asking for it, going from one person to next. When I was going to go back to graduate school, um, I asked all my professors, my professors at Wesleyan, I asked the people I was working with in St. Croix, you know, who should I go with? And they were like, talk to this person, this person, this person. And they were the ones who, you know, made phone calls and said, you need this person. You know, you, you need to take this student. And that happened throughout my, and that's really been true throughout my career is networking, um, showing people that I want to work hard. I'm passionate about my field. I'm willing, like we're, we're sort of the whole perseverance. Sometimes I had to take jobs that were, might not be my first choice, um, but I wanted to get to the next level. And so everybody knew that no matter what they asked me to do, I was going to do my best, work hard, and, and and get the job done and, and really uh, face up to challenges. So networking is critical, I think in any field, but, but certainly in the sciences. Yeah, as I've talked to people across various industries, we, we like to really reinforce the concept that, you know, business networking or professional networking is not just for the Wall Street types. It applies to every industry, every field of study and focus, including academia where honestly, it might be even more critical just because you're dealing with a smaller population group and invariably, and I'm sure you've experienced this, somebody that you worked with um, will at one point be, uh, you know, potentially your boss or a colleague in a different setting. And those relationships and how you left them at the, at the former position directly impact how your work life is going to be on the new one. So 
um, especially as you kind of narrow your field of study into a niche area, um, that world becomes pretty small and it's important to, to maintain those relationships over a long time. That's right, 100%. And also um, in sciences, you know, well, I get a, students ask me a lot about, well, where should I go to school? What school is the best for like in marine science? And it's not just about what's the best school. It's also about people, kind of work people are doing because in the sciences, in my field, you know, you're going to want to work with somebody. You, you know, you, you can get fellowships, you can get research assistantships. There's all sorts of ways. And now a lot of schools don't take you without that kind of funding. Um, but to get that, you really need to have somebody who becomes your champion. And so what I always tell students is, yes, look at what the school offers in terms of programming and kind of classes, but also look at what the professors there, what their interests are. Don't be afraid to contact them. Say you're interested in coming there. You know, we'd love, you'd love to work with them. That's really important. It's not just about the school itself. It's also about the professors, what their interests are, what they're doing. Are they taking on students? So, and, and again, you can't be afraid to contact them and say, I'm, you know, I'm really interested in coming to work with you. I love this. I want to, this is what I want to do. And so I always tell the students to be proactive. And the thing is, the worst thing that's going to happen is somebody's going to say no. It's probably not going to be because of you. It's probably going to be because maybe the opportunity isn't there. But the best thing is they might say yes. And I, I've got a great story. So when I took a semester off and I was in St. Croix at this West Indies lab, we went and visited HydroLab, which was this undersea lab. And I just thought, oh my gosh, we were on a field trip. I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. Scientists go there to live underwater to study the ocean. I mean, how, how could it get better than that? Went back to the lab where we were all students. There were 50 students there. That Saturday, I got on my bike. I cycled over to back to the undersea lab. And I said, hey, do you guys have any summer jobs for divers? And they said, you know, I was by myself. And they said, can, are you certified? I said, yes. And they're like, can you pick up these, these tanks? I'm like, sure. <laughs> they said, okay, you're hired. I went back to the lab. And the other students were like, oh, my God. How did you get that job? And the answer was, I asked. Any one of them could have done the same thing, but nobody else took the initiative just to go over there and ask for the opportunity. And so, yeah, they could have easily, I've been said no to a lot. You know, I've been rejected a lot of times for other things, but the best thing is they said yes. And it led to a whole bunch of other things from there. So, you know, again, students, you have, you can't be afraid to ask for opportunities you can't be afraid of somebody saying no, because it's not a reflection of you typically, it's a reflection of the opportunities, just not there. But that's the way you're gonna, you're gonna get you know, opportunities. Yeah, I, I mean, I love that, that those are all big themes that we hit on a lot of these conversations is get outside of your comfort zone, you can create your own opportunities. Yep. A no today does not mean that you are a bad person, it does not mean you are not smart, it just, it could be a whole host of different things that, that occur that result in that no, and it might not be a no next week, right? So right. being thoughtfully persistent and, and putting yourself out there is how you kind of create that opportunity. And I'd like to use this as a segue, you know, given your, your science um, educational background, how did you transition into being a writer, being a speaker, being on television. Um, are, are, were those all creative things that you came up with and, and seizing opportunities? I'd love to learn a little bit more about right. what that looked like. 
So I had a lot of the sort of typical science jobs first. I mean, I taught oceanography for Sea Education Association, which I loved. I took my, took my students out to sea on tall sailing ships. I was the director of a marine lab. I was a researcher for the US Geological Survey. Um, I was the assistant dean at, at the University of Miami's graduate school, marine science graduate school. Um, and I even got to be the chief scientist for the world's only undersea research station. Some of those opportunities were ones that I went after, but a lot of those opportunities were because people I had met throughout the years knew about me, knew my work ethic, knew how I faced challenges. And a lot of times they called me and asked me if I would be interested in, in having those jobs. Um, partly that was because I discovered that while I love doing research um, and I love giving science talks on all that, my real passion is this idea of science communications. And what it turned out at the time, certainly, there weren't that many people with the hardcore science background that I had who were very interested in science communications with a broader public. And so it gave me some recognition pretty quickly, I think, and so that's how, um, so then what happened is um, somebody asked me to edit a, a popular science book about volcanoes and earthquakes and geology. And I said, sure, well, I was supposed to be working with several other scientists. It turned out they weren't so good about writing for the public. So I ended up writing most of the book and, and in doing so discovered I loved it. I loved writing non-technical science. and so. I started writing more. And then when the 2004 tsunami hit, um, I had a book out that was about tsunamis. And so when the networks were trying to find somebody who could talk about tsunamis, um, they would Google it and my name would pop up because I had a book. And so I started getting calls from CNN and NBC and I uh, started going on air. And again, because I have this passion for translating technical science for the public, turns out that that came across on television as well as in my books. And so it wasn't anything I aspired to originally when I got into science, but it was a discovery along the way. And I think that gets back to, we talked about that before. It's not, you, you shouldn't always assume what you start out doing is where you're gonna end up. I didn't think I was gonna end up writing popular science, now I write. Adventure novels for middle graders that I incorporate science, that's probably my favorite thing now that I'm writing, um, or certainly going on in television. None of that was stuff that I even considered when I went on in science, but I think as you progress through your career, not only do you learn what you're good at and your strengths, what your weaknesses are. Like I'll tell you one of my weaknesses is, as a research scientist, you have to do repetitions for experiments. And for me, I'm like, I already did three of them. Why do I need to do 10 more? So I'm not the best meticulous scientist. There are much people who are much better, but those are the kind of things that you discover along your path. When you're in, you know, going through your career as you're, you're, you're going into different jobs, you discover what you're good at, what you're not so great at, your weaknesses, but you also discover what do you like doing and what do you not like doing? Quite frankly, now, if somebody asked me to write a technical science paper, it's like tearing my hair out. I'm like, no, don't ask me to do that. But if you ask me to write 
something for kids or a popular science, I'm all over it. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, for the younger people listening to this, finding a field of study or a way that you can spend your time that matches your personal passions with your professional acumen, right? that creates purpose. And if you're living a purpose-driven life professionally, you know, it's just a wonderful thing. And, and you can hear just your enthusiasm and your energy about what you do every day. And it, it's terrific. I would encourage a lot of people to think really hard on that. But the path to get there is through probably a lot of time, effort, you know, bang your head against the wall, figure yes. out what you don't like. And then you get into this wonderful place where, you know, you're still spending time probably on things that aren't your favorite, but there are those magical moments where that synergy between what you love and what you're really good at come together and you create just this wonderful work product. That, that's 100% true. And yeah, I mean, I've had to take jobs that I wasn't thrilled about, do jobs. And, you know, I took a couple jobs where I was like, nope, this is not for me. I finished what I said I would do and then I moved on. But I also, you know, you know, people laugh like, well, you've never stayed at one job for all this long, except for what I'm currently doing. But, but those experiences gave me a much broader perspective than a lot of people have because I, it enabled me to meet so many people. I learned so much about a broader field of science. Um, I look at all of those experiences adding to where I am today, and I think I needed them to get to where I'm today. I mean, um, I, my most recent popular science book is called Dangerous Earth, What We Wish We Knew About Climate Change and Volcanoes and Tsunamis and Earthquakes. And I did that book by talking to a whole range of scientists and asking them, what do they wish they knew in their field? And you know, I was very comfortable talking to the leaders in different fields, even if they weren't mine. Um, and I don't think I would have been ready to do that 10, 15 years ago. So, you know, I had to gain the confidence in my ability to make science accurate, informative, and, you know, credible, as well as kind of entertaining. Um, and I think people trust me now because they know I'll do that, that I'm very, I mean, I have been very careful. And this is a a good thing to tell students, you know, I've been asked, there've been times when I've been asked to be on like a reality show or to do things that could hurt my credibility as a scientist. And I always say no. Um, somebody will ask me to go on a show where they want to, you know, is it supernatural or is it science? And I'm like, nope, I don't do that because I'm not going to give credence to sort of fake science. And so you have to be, at least for me, uh, I'm in very protective of my credibility and you shouldn't always take opportunities because you think, oh, they'll get my name out there or whatever. Because if you're in a field where your credibility is sort of valuable, you've got to protect it throughout your career. And I'm very careful about that. Yeah. And that's what we encourage a lot of younger people who are entering the workforce today. The, the reality is you're going to have <laughs> a different job or a, a, a new job every two, three years, frankly, right. at this point. And your personal brand means a lot. And even though you may have had a short stint somewhere or wasn't the right fit, you can always bring that personal brand with you. It's portable. But right. if you besmirch it, it's going to stick with you. And, you know, it's, it's a tough way to go through professional life. It is. And I think that's a really important message right now about what you post on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, TikTok, whatever it is, even though you might think it's cute and funny now or 
snarky or something, just be aware it doesn't go away. Once it's out there, it's out there. And so I'm very careful. What I tell people is almost all of my posts are professional. I very rarely put anything personal out there. Um, a, I'm fairly protective of my personal life, but I, I also just think, um, you know, you open yourselves up to, to something in the future that you may not want to. And so I think the students coming out now, we didn't, I didn't have that to contend with when I was just coming out of Wesleyan. But I think now it's really important that they are very careful about what they're posting. Yeah, 100% concur. My wife works at a uh, all girls private school here in Nashville. And they talk a lot about, you know, your media footprint and your social media uh, baggage um, and how easy it is for people to get the wrong impression of you um, based right. on some things that might be taken out of context. So yeah, the billboard rule definitely still applies. Um, don't put anything out there that you wouldn't feel comfortable putting up on the billboard, I think. Right. Um, no, that's a great way to put it. <laughs> uh, so maybe uh, if you could um, talk a little bit more about kind of what your day to day looks like today, um, how you spend your time uh, for people who might be interested in mm -hmm. following along your path. So um, right now, I kind of have a, uh, a myriad of, of jobs or hats that I, and I like it that way. I um, sometimes headhunters call me for more stable jobs or something more for, you know, full time, but then I can't do the odd jobs or projects or books or things that come up as they do. So I kind of, it's, it's not for everybody because there is a certain amount of insecurity in it. Um, but so right now I have a couple steady jobs. One is, although right now because of the pandemic, it's not necessarily true. Um, I am the science advisor for celebrity cruise lines in the Galapagos islands, which I have to say is one of the best gigs you can get. I have to go to the Galapagos a couple times a year to work with two. Now there's, uh, we have three expedition ships down there. And so I go and I work with the naturalists and I train them. So when I go, I'm down there for about 10 days. Um, when I'm not there, I'm working with them uh, remotely a little bit on training and plans and programs. Um, so that's one job. So that, you know, is really pretty adventurous when I get down there and I, I absolutely love it. Um, then I am still, I'm writing books. So I had a not, here, let's see. I had a popular science book called Dangerous Throat come out uh, this year. Terrible time with the pandemic. We're talking about disasters in March. Couldn't be worse. Um, but I also have a new series for middle graders called The Wonderless Adventures. And the first book is called Escape Galapagos. And it's, you know, it combines adventure and relatable characters and humor with science and learning about nature. The second book in the series, which I'm really excited about, I think is even better than the first, is called Escape Greenland. And that comes out in April. Um, and those are available online. You can order them through bookstores, Amazon. That's um, a publisher called Tumble Home Learning. But I love these books. And in the back, my favorite part is there's a section called Real Versus Made Up, where I ask the readers to try and figure out parts of the story. Are they real, based on real science? Or are they things that I purely made up? And I do a lot of public speaking. Um, I'm also working with a really cool um, company that has created technology that allows you, it's patented and it, it allows you to share data geospatially across platforms, any kind of device and, and work collaboratively. And it's um, where we are working with a couple groups and I'm hoping to use it in Florida to do some work on harmful algal blooms. So I'm working on that. Um, working with the Florida Aquarium to do some educational work with schools. 
So I've got a couple, you know, lots of irons in the fire. Always, irons are always coming up, but I love, my real passion is, again, how do we make science relevant, informative, and even entertaining for the broader public, whether it's um, senior citizens or kids, um, I do a lot, I, right now I'm doing virtual presentations into classrooms and for events. Um, still working, I do a, a, the, weather, the Weather Channel calls me quite a bit. If there's something they want me to go on air and talk about, you know, I'll, I'll appear on air for them. So it's still kind of, right now, you know, you never know what's going to come up. I like having all these different projects, but I think my favorite thing right now is these middle, writing for middle graders. And I love interacting with them. They're so much fun and they're so excited. It's, it's really great. Yeah, that's that's just awesome. My oldest son is an aspiring naturalist, so I'll, oh, have, to really? get, I'll have to get him. Um, he's a little bit too young for the books, maybe, but um, how old is he? He's seven. Oh no, that's so, perfect. Okay, but what I would say is perfect for him, but it's even better for you guys to read it together because yes. there are a lot of. I will tell you, there's parts in there that are the humor. The kids will get it, but the adults will get it as well. So, but perfect. so my day, you know, getting back to your question. Um, my day varies from staring at the screen writing to interacting online to uh, once travel opens up, I will start traveling again. You know, I like to travel when I'm writing books that have places in them. I really like to make sure I go there. So one of the great trips I had was I went to Greenland for the Dangerous Earth book, looking at climate change, but then I used it as the location for this next adventure book and I loved it. And in fact, I was going to make the third book in the series was going to be Escape Australia, but because of the pandemic, I can't do that. So I am looking forward to my next, you know, the ability to start traveling again. Yes, you and me both. That will be a positive thing. Yes. Um, well, thank you so much for the time. We're kind of rounding out the conversation here, but would love to, if you have some big takeaways if somebody listening is a current student or a recent graduate, they're interested in you know, marine science, but also marrying that with some of their other skills on reading and, and writing and being a speaker and critical thinking, any, any advice or, or words of wisdom that you can impart to them today? I think repeating some of the things we've talked about, I think being proactive and going after opportunities, don't be afraid to ask for opportunities. If you see a program that you're interested in, even if they don't have anything available then, let them know you're interested, you're out there. Um, take advantage of your professors uh, at Wesleyan, ask for their advice, you know, really uh, hone in on your skills that you're learning there. Take advantage of that time to learn. It's, you know, you don't, you don't wanna abuse that. Um, but again, be proactive, don't be afraid to fail. Don't be afraid to try new things. Um, you, again, you know, from my experience, you just never know what path your career is going to take and, it, it, and what part of it you're going to like the most. So I, I, think, I think that's, you know, look for opportunities. Don't be afraid to ask for them. And, and resilience and perseverance are really important. I will tell you in the publishing world, if anybody interested in writing books, I think you got to get a thick skin. Same with television. It got to get a thick skin because there's a lot of rejection that goes on it as well as, you know, success. And it's just part of life. And so don't be afraid to take those risks. Yeah, we I interviewed a, a friend of mine who's in the media space yesterday and whoa, uh, 
the level of rejection that is just norm in that space, especially in television is, um, it's really tough, hard to, hard, hard to fathom. And so yeah, a thick skin. And then if you could maybe touch on the experience being a student athlete at school and how that helped build out your professional career and some of those lessons learned from on the field and how you ported them to being off the field professionally. Um, I, I think again, this, the perseverance, you know, you're going to have good days and bad days on the field and you've got to persevere no matter what. Um, you've got to strive to do your best no matter what, you know, I honestly, what happened for me was really frustrating. I got injured my senior year. Um, I was the captain of the lacrosse team and I got seriously injured. I was supposed to go to, going to be recommended for national trials and I couldn't go. Um, but I showed up every day on the field to support the team and do what I can. And I'm not going to tell you it was easy. There were tears. Uh, but I showed up and supported the team and did what I could because that was my job as captain. And so it was a responsibility to support everybody else. And I think those are lessons that are you can put into life as well. So um, it wasn't easy. Uh, but again, do your best, work hard, that's really overcome challenges. Um, you've got to rely on a team in science. You know, I always talk about science as a team when I'm doing a research project, it's not just me. It's, you know, there could be computer experts, data managers, boat drivers, it's a team. You gotta learn how to work as a team and work with other people. And so those are all things that come out and you can really gain from working, uh, being on a team at, at Wesleyan in sports. Yeah, I would echo all of those things. I interviewed the current captain of the football team uh, yesterday and you know, just how gutted and devastated you must be as a incoming senior to have a pandemic basically say, oh. sorry, no, no senior experience being uh, a football player, period. Your career is not over. But, you know, to his credit, he had a great perspective on things and embraced still being the captain. And they still had, you know, experiences and memories that they took from that. And he translated it to real life, which is, hey, you know, you need to roll the punches sometimes and it's not always going to be a smooth ride. And um, so, yeah, I, I would reinforce everything you said there. Well, um, Ellen, thank you so much for taking the time. This has been unbelievable. Um, and you have such an interesting and rich resume. So, you know, kudos for all the work you've done. I'm definitely going to check out the books from, for my oldest, uh, naturalist as he calls himself. And so oh, he'll, he'll, he'll love Escape Galapagos because it's all about nature and animals and he'll love it. It was perfect for him. That's so, great. Well, thank you so much. Thanks so much. Yeah. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Take care. Okay. Bye.